Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Princess Priscilla. And you're listening to... (laughs) It's It's a a Mystery mystery for Me. me. To it's the mystery for me, everybody. So Norma was just telling me that we got a comment on Instagram. Do you want to read the comment that we got? You can read it. It was a critique from last week's episode. It says, you all need to do better research. You completely mixed up the staircase murderer, Michael Peterson, with the jinx, Robert Durst. It comes off as if you don't know what you're speaking about. Okay. In my defense, in the defense of a lot of us, Let's really think about the documentaries that we've seen on TV and the shows we've seen and who they have featured, right? A lot mm-hmm. of palm-colored people. And the culprits are usually palm-colored men. So, okay, I mixed up two palm-colored men. Can you blame me? Check out both the documentaries. They were both interesting, but clearly I mixed them up. But I do recommend them. But anyways, it's my turn to host this week's episode, and I will not let you guys down. This is well-researched, okay? So we're going to get right to it. For this week's episode, I watched an episode of Disappeared, which is an investigation discovery show. It aired in 2009, and if you have HBO Max, you can also watch it there. There weren't many articles on this case. I feel like many people probably haven't heard it, which is fine. Um, There was enough for me to piece together the story for y'all, though, okay? And those articles came from Penn Live. As always, for a full list of today's sources, please visit our website, itsthemysteryforme.com, or click the link in today's show notes. This episode had me in a tizzy. Okay, I was going through a range of emotions. Hmm. So just prepare yourself, everybody. This case takes us back to 2008 in Harrisburg County, Pennsylvania. This is a Michelle McMullen case. Michelle McMullen was born to Michael and Lily McMullen. Her birthday is unknown. I searched the internet for it and it just, it just wasn't there, y'all. On the Disappeared show, it is said that she is the only daughter, but no clarification was given on whether she had brothers. Her father, Michael, owned a printing slash copy place and her mother was a pastor. There's not even much about Michelle's upbringing. It seems that she was very close with her parents, but it did not talk about her relationship with her friends and stuff of that nature. So there's nothing on the date of birth, but do we know what age she was do we have an idea yes yes we do in 2008 michelle was 27 years old michelle had a son when she was around 21 years old her son has remained unnamed on the show and in articles though when i was re-watching the show when i paused it and there was something on the screen it did say his name but because they didn't say his name i just i'll leave it at that okay because he was a minor at the time The father of her son also remains unnamed. It seems like having a child, even though it's an amazing gift, 
at least that's what I hear from people. I don't have any kids. <laughs> it put a halt on any plans to go to college. Michelle was a single mother, so that also added another layer of pressure to provide the best environment for her son. Towards the end of 2007, she got a job at a local church assisting with accounting. Though I did see an article from Penn Live that said she was a secretary. You know, sometimes secretaries could have multiple duties. Right, yeah. So, yeah. In the summer of 2008, she decided she wanted to pursue her degree at Grambling State University in Louisiana. According to an article written by Sarah Gainham for Penn Live, Michelle was majoring in business. It was 2008, so unlikely that a remote position would have existed at that time, right? Her father, Michael, explains on the show that she gave her notice to her job and began to make plans to move to Louisiana with her son. By the end of the summer of 2008, Michelle, who's now 27, and her son, who's six years old, moved to Louisiana. But she quickly encounters some bad news when she gets down there. There was an issue with the financial grant that the school was supposed to give her. The show does not elaborate on what the issue was or whether it could be remedied. Next thing you know, Michelle is working at a local McDonald's while also being a full-time student and mother. By all accounts, things weren't so great, right? I'm not sure if she could count on her parents for help with money. I think everyone has different experiences with that. I have other friends who are bankrolled by their parents completely to this day, and they're in their 30s. So I, I guess it just depends. I'm curious to who you're referring to. I'm, I'm actually talking about your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was the case for Michelle, that right. she could go to her parents and say, hey, the grant is not working out. I need help. It seemed like on the show that she had a great relationship with them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to give her money, right? On September 26, 2008, Michelle shows up to work at McDonald's as normal and is told by her boss that due to some schedule changes, she'll be off until Tuesday. It didn't seem like Michelle was upset by this. If anything, she saw it as an opportunity to head back to Harrisburg County, Pennsylvania. Why? She wanted to drop off her son to her parents. I think it can be inferred from the show and articles that I read that she was feeling overwhelmed by all the things going on in her life. And she knew her parents would take care of their grandson. And then maybe she could try to figure things out with school and the grant and then, you know, bring him back. Detectives believe that she left Louisiana on Saturday evening. The drive from Louisiana to Harrisburg County is about 18 hours long, and the show says she only took breaks to fill the gas tank. She made it to Harrisburg County on Sunday evening, but went to her friend's house instead, meaning instead of her parents' house. She told her friend, who remains unnamed, by the way, so many people remain unnamed. It's kind of shocking, but whatever. So she told her friend to call her parents on Tuesday to let them know that she had, you know, Michelle's son. Apparently, she knew that her parents would tell her that she needed to rest before driving back the 18 hours to Louisiana. Mm. And she just wanted to avoid that conversation entirely. So, yes, after 18 hours on the road already, she hopped back in her car within like a half hour, an hour of dropping off her son and took off to Louisiana. Her friend was worried, so she made her promise to give her a call after she had been driving for like, you know, a few minutes or something like that and had found her way back to the highway, etc. And her friend did speak to her on the cell phone and Michelle said that she was doing fine. Was she planning on stopping? I mean, if she drove all those hours to Pennsylvania. Right. I figured that maybe she would stop midway back. 
I don't know. It didn't seem like she was planning to stop. Wow. And 18 plus 18 is 36. So that, that's like a day and a half of driving. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. That's tough. Mm-hmm. And I love to drive. Um, I won't say what car I love to drive, though. <laughs> All right. So by Monday, the friend decides to call Michelle's parents and let them know what's going on because she has not heard from Michelle on Monday morning. Right. And she calls her, but she doesn't get an answer. And Michelle hasn't called her friend. So the friend's Mm -hmm. kind of just like, well, what's going on here? So even though Michelle said, call my parents on Tuesday, she's like, nah. I'm going to call them today because it's kind of weird. So her friend calls Michelle's parents and they, of course, are very confused by all of this and a bit outraged, to be honest. They're just like, why wouldn't she just come to us? Why does she feel like she needs to just go in such a hurry? Her dad reached out to the Harrisburg County Police Department, but they had a 72 hour rule when it comes to reporting someone missing. So her parents were finally able to report her missing around Tuesday p.m., Wednesday a.m., The police, of course, spoke to the friend immediately. The friend revealed that Michelle had written a note and gave it to her before leaving. It was addressed to the friend. The mom reads a bit of the letter on the show, so here are a few lines. I don't know what's going on, but I know the fingers are all on me. I was responsible for everything. I am hurting and scared. Her mom does not believe this is Michelle's handwriting, by the way, but for whatever reason, police declined to do any sort of handwriting analysis. It seemed like the letter in general was pretty cryptic. They just picked that one section to kind of highlight the fact that it was cryptic, I guess, right? Like, How did the friend get the letter, though? Michelle handed it to her. Her parents didn't even know that she was on her way to Pennsylvania. That's so interesting. Hmm. Her mom's like, maybe she was trying to surprise us. Did they go into details about what the instructions were for the son, what to do with him, or no? Well, she was told to call the parents on Tuesday. Yeah, for Tuesday. On Tuesday. But that's about it. I mean, it gave other instructions about like what he likes to eat and stuff like that. So of course, the police and the family are now thinking a bunch of things, right? Like, could she be having a psychological breakdown? In an article by Sarah Gainham for Penn Live, Michelle's dad speaks to the journalist and says that Michelle did not show any signs of depression and he knew of no one who would want to hurt her. Still, it isn't uncommon for people to hide their mental health symptoms and for parents to have no idea what's going on. The other question the parents had was, could it be something medically related? Her parents thought it very well could be. On the show, her parents explained that Michelle had a really bad migraine issue. One was so exceptionally bad that her son had to call 911 when he could not wake her up. He was five years old at the time. Like, what if she passed out from her migraine again and she crashed her car? Her dad immediately jumps into action and he starts to print out a ton of flyers at his store and he sent her picture to various hospitals that would be on the route from Harrisburg County, Pennsylvania to Louisiana. Then of course, there were more sinister reasons that could explain her disappearance, like human trafficking or murder. In the meantime, police had added her to a national database and characterized her as missing. On October 8th, 2008, which is about a week or so, after she goes missing. Her car was found in Hagerstown, Maryland in a parking lot for the company Mack Truck. The distance between Hagerstown, Maryland to Harrisburg County in Pennsylvania is about an hour and 15 minutes. 
as far as car rides go. So the car had been sitting in this lot for employees and they estimated it had been there for seven to 10 days. So that corresponds with the timeline of when she went missing. Police searched the vehicle and there isn't anything that would indicate foul play, but all of her items are still in the car, including her cell phone and wallet. So I wondered why they said that it didn't indicate foul play, right? right. Like she left all her things behind. Mm -hmm. A canine dog tracks her scent about 50 feet into the woods that's near the parking lot, and then that's it. The scent is gone. At this point, her family believes that she was removed forcibly from her vehicle, and of course, they are very frantic about this. Her mom expresses concern that her car wasn't reported as abandoned sooner by the company. Right. Mm -hmm. She just felt like, okay, there's security there. Why wouldn't you guys like flag that this car was sitting there for seven to 10 days? Mm -hmm. But the police think that the company thought it was one of their employees' cars, right? And like sometimes you have car trouble and you leave your car at work because it just won't start or something's wrong. So after a few days, they were just like, oh, okay, I guess it doesn't belong to anybody. So this company, do you know if it's like a private parking lot? Yes. Um, that's like maybe somewhat gated or it looks like, like there's a security yeah it looks like there's a security like booth yeah that's why i'm at that you'd have to drive past hmm but i couldn't tell if you have to show id or not it seemed to me like the security booth it was on the side it's not like it was in the middle of the street it looked like it was on the side and maybe they're just like watching cars come in and out but it didn't look like there was somebody like asking for ids and stuff like that because I'm just like wondering if she got tired and saw this parking lot and pulled over. Maybe. Um, but is that even on her way, literally? Like, is Pennsylvania right above Maryland? Like, is that her direct path? Yes, yeah. Norma, like, well, Pennsylvania is kind of next to, like, Delaware. Okay. Okay, and above Delaware is Jersey. Sure. So it almost forms a triangle, almost like where Jersey's the top of the triangle, but where's Delaware's Maryland, the right? Mel what the <laughs> Maryland is under Delaware. Okay. Like technically Delaware goes into the water, but when I'm driving, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell Wait, we don't know. No, no, no. When I am driving, when I would drive home from school, I would pass through Maryland while I was, you know, living in Maryland. Mm -hmm. But it's like I was living in like Silver Spring, Maryland. So I had to drive for about 40 minutes to pass Baltimore. Once mm -hmm. I passed Baltimore, I was passing Delaware. Delaware took me like 30 minutes to get through, you know. Um, so I passed through Delaware. Then I'm in Jersey. Jersey takes the longest amount of time to get through. Mm -hmm. And then I'm in New York. And so like when I'm in Delaware, though, driving through Delaware, there are exits that say, do you want to go to Pennsylvania? Right? Like, then okay. you gotta veer off to, like, a different highway. I was just... I'm sorry. Great. I was just wondering if that was on her path for some reason. Yes, it's it's on her path. But how? Norma. <laughs> Norma, <laughs> Pennsylvania... Did you hear? Did you hear <laughs> what I just said? Map. Norma, think what... <laughs> We can do, you know, the map study another time. Let's keep moving. Okay, I see now. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway. Makes perfect sense. Anyways. So as of this moment, it doesn't seem like police are getting too far with the car. Um, I'm sure they do impound it, but 
yeah, it, it, it just seems like it's a standstill. Okay. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, though, police in a neighboring county in Pennsylvania, they issue warrants for Michelle's arrest on October 9th, 2008. So one day after her car is found. It is related to money that came up missing at her job at the church. Harrisburg County learns that she was actually fired from the church. She didn't quit the job. Oh, okay. And her dad also reveals on the show that he thought that she had left the job, right, voluntarily. That's Mm -hmm. what she told him. Her dad also says that a month before her disappearance, a detective had called him asking to speak to Michelle and to put the detective in touch with Michelle. Her dad emphasizes that the detective said that Michelle was not a suspect, but that he just wanted to speak to her about some missing money, right? It's part of his investigation. How much money was missing? The show says $19,000. An article by John C. Whitehead for Penn Live, though, says $10,000. That same article says that Michelle was only really responsible for about $2,000 of that amount. It's almost $3,000 in today's money. Okay. Mm -hmm. Her dad expresses his frustrations with the warrant being issued slash this hitting mainstream news. Why? Because he was afraid it would take away from the investigation, right? His daughter is still missing. Now putting her out there as a criminal, it might not necessarily push the detectives to do their police work Mm -hmm. you know if anything it might make them feel like well maybe that's why she's missing Mm -hmm. so we're not going to look too hard on this show her dad also emphasizes that michelle had called the detective back immediately and the detective missed her call she left him a voicemail stating that she could be reached by email but she did not leave a number. That's what the detective emphasizes on the show. She did not leave a number. So I guess she was calling from a private line or something. However, she even emails the detective, but it's not clear if the detective emailed her back. Based on the show, I'm thinking probably not because they say that the detective missed her email. Hmm. I guess his inbox got cluttered or maybe another case came up. It doesn't seem like he responded to her email. So she wasn't running from having this conversation. Right. She was willing to have this conversation. And it just seemed like they just kept missing each other. So you know the national database where her name was entered and it said that she was missing? They changed it from missing to wanted. What? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Didn't they just like leave it as both? I don't know. Like put a slash, hyphenated parentheses no i know right i know no wow they wanted when people pulled up her name to know that she was wanted and that she should be taken into custody with great care can you imagine your kids missing and they're just like we're gonna change this to say wanted instead from something that they said that they were just investigating so y'all said she wasn't a suspect but now you're issuing a warrant for her arrest so she was a suspect so Which is it, right? Kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward to December 15th of 2008. So this is just two months or so since Michelle had gone missing initially, right? A friend of the family is checking into a motel in Martinsburg, West Virginia. When he gets to the counter, he locks eyes with a woman who's working at the counter, and her name is Monique Watson. But she looks exactly like Michelle, and it startles him. This motel is about 100 miles from her home in Pennsylvania and 30 miles from where her car was found. 
police are notified and they pull up to the motel. But when they get there, Monique is gone. They interview employees and show pictures of Michelle. And the people that they ask confirm that this is a lady that's been working here for two months. What? That's what the people said. Yeah. So the detectives are like, come again? Right. So are they sure? Right. So let's get there now. So they learned that Monique Watson said that she had lost her ID due to Hurricane Katrina and that she was on the run from an abusive partner. Because these subjects are so touchy, her employer never asked for her ID after that. Mm. I mean, those are pretty smart things to say if you really don't want someone asking you, right? Like, okay, let's say something that might make people uncomfortable to ask about, right? Like, according to an article written by Sarah Gainham for Penn Live, the hotel manager found Monique to be incredibly kind. He gave her access to his credit cards, etc., and no money came up missing. He gave her access to his credit cards. Why? I think to do like business purchases and okay. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he said that the customers loved her. And when police ask, how long has she been here for? They say uh, about two months or so, maybe a little over two months, which does match up with the timeline of Michelle going missing. They are granted access to the room Monique was living in and find things that suggest that she is trying to get fake IDs. At this point, they're convinced that this is likely Michelle. But the show doesn't really talk more about why other than the fake ID stuff, right? Like, and of course, people IDing her from pictures that they showed them. And of course, Mm -hmm. there's also the added timeline, right? Of like, uh, it's around the time she went missing. And it's not that far from where she left her car. Her parents are not convinced, though. They expected the police to do some sort of DNA testing or something. But police say that they don't have to do that because people positively identified her with the picture they showed. So why would they take it the extra step? I think we know by now that photo identification is not the best tool to use. If they had access to her room, maybe she left a toothbrush or something, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting that they didn't run any DNA analysis because they did not say on the show that they couldn't, just that they wouldn't. Yeah, I feel like they absolutely should have to confirm They officially closed the missing persons case as they fully believe Michelle is a fugitive. This is just so bizarre to me because they have, okay, the witnesses were able to identify her through the photo. Right. But you have access to her room and you don't test anything to confirm that it's actually her. Right. When you have that there. Yeah, because it seemed like she left in a hurry because when the cops got there, people said that she had just left maybe like five to 10 minutes before they got there. It could also be that her fellow employee who was standing next to her when this family friend saw her, saw how Monique reacted. Monique was very taken aback and she began to hide behind like a door or something, which her coworker Mm. found really weird, you know? And then all of a sudden she just packed up and like ran. So the police were like, well, why would she run if she didn't have anything to hide? I wonder what she's running from or why this is even happening. Right. Because if she, before everything went down, was willing to talk to the detective about the missing money, why is she running now? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, unless she sees on the news or something that she's now a wanted person and she's scared, that could be different. Like her reaction could be different now. 
Hmm. And cause her to run. Or could it be that it's not her and that this person ran because they just were afraid of how this person looked at her? That's a possibility. The family friend was certain it was her. He called her parents immediately. Wow. And they're the ones who call the cops, but he called her parents to be like, she's here. Okay. But the parents, they don't believe it because again, they're just like, you didn't run DNA and it would have been easy to do that. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like the opportunity is there. Right. There's so many other instances where you hear people saying, oh, I think I saw this one, this this one person. And they're no longer there. Right. But it's not Mm -hmm. like they stayed in a hotel room. Exactly. And they can possibly collect evidence from. But we have that here. And they didn't seize the opportunity. Again, it's not like she took everything. Like they showed pictures of the hotel room. So whoever was living in that hotel room, it was a mess. In January 2009, the disappeared episode is released. I guess her family had some sort of connects or something. Because how did they get that on January 2009? Yeah. That is extremely fast. Yeah. That's what they said. But I think, Hmm. what if the date is wrong? Because you know how articles could be wrong. Like when I was watching the show, under it, I'm pretty sure it said 2010. So let's just say... It's still pretty quick, either Yeah. Way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, an America's Most Wanted episode also is released. According to a different article written by Sarah Gainham for Penn Live, a woman was at an African hair braiding salon in California, which is owned by a Korean woman. Um, I think that's very common in California. And this woman also happened to be someone who watches true crime shows. She realized that her hairstylist, Danielle Jones, looked a lot like a woman she saw in a disappeared episode. And that episode was about Michelle McMullen. Mm-hmm. It looks like instead of alerting Danielle, she alerts police so that they can do their due diligence. On January 27th, 2011, police come into the salon in plain clothes to confirm if Danielle looks like or could be Michelle. And Danielle assists them while they buy a wig cap. Which is so random, a wig cap. Yeah. As soon as they leave the store, other officers immediately swarm the store. And they take Danielle into a back room. They ask her if she is Michelle. It does not seem like she answered, so they took her to the station to fingerprint her slash confirm her identity. The Korean shop owner, Miss Limu, is really upset about all of this. And as they're taking Danielle out the store, she yells at the officers to leave Danielle alone because Danielle is her daughter. But still, they take Danielle away. And once the fingerprints come back, it turns out that Danielle Jones is not Michelle McMullen. Just kidding. She is Michelle McMullen. What? Yes, it's her. The jig was up. No way. Yes, way. Wait, she just said that's her daughter. Yes. So she lied? So we we going to get into this cuz this is crazy. Right I know. This took a turn. This took a turn. So you're probably wondering how we got here. Thanks to Sarah's journalism, you're about to find out. And as a side note, the episode, disappeared episode, definitely was edited after airing the show initially to show her arrest. But that happens literally in the last minute as the credits are rolling. So it like caught me off guard. Like, wait, wait, what? You guys didn't say what? She's been found? What? I was confused. 
after she was almost caught in West Virginia, because yes, Monique Watson was Michelle McMullen as well at that motel. So after she was almost caught there, she went to DC for a while via train. She met a guy online who lived in California and that's when she ended up making her way out there. If you're wondering what she was doing in DC, she had another man in DC who she was staying with. So she makes it out to California. It doesn't say when. Now, when you think about her story under Monique Watson, that she was abused and running from a partner and that she was part of Hurricane Katrina. Okay, that was clearly a lie. That was clearly a lie. Her parents, the detectives, everyone on the show, they don't bring up any allegations of abuse. Her, the father of her child is never brought up. Ex-boyfriends are never brought up. Hmm. It's kind of like what her dad says that like, he didn't know anybody who had an issue with her. Here's her story under the Danielle Jones alias. <laughs> she said that she came from Liberia at three years old and settled in Chicago with her adoptive parents. However, they were so abusive that she eventually had to run away and that she had a very hard life as a result of that. Meanwhile, she has loving parents in Pennsylvania. Why um, would she do this? <laughs> this is so extreme. No, this is extreme. Okay, so she continues by saying that she has no ID because it was stolen on a bus. She also says that she's not a United States citizen, which is obviously false. And people around her want to help her. Like the man she's living with in California, he's like, well, let's see how we could get you your papers. And she's like, no, I don't want to be bothered. Apparently he had called a social worker and she freaked out on him. It was like, no, like, just let me be. Let me be out here. So she started to work at this Korean owned African braiding spot. And she meets the owner, Miss Limu. And Miss Limu says that Danielle aka Michelle, was super kind. The customers loved her. And she had watched her progress with her skills from like braiding like so-so eh, to being like one of the best braiders at the store. She said that she did a lot with Danielle, that, you know, they had more of a mother-daughter bond to the point that Danielle, aka Michelle, called her mommy. And she this was too much. <laughs> right. And she referred to her as her daughter. Like she genuinely loved her as a daughter. And she's like, no one would know that she's not my daughter because that's how we act. I'm like, I don't know. I might be able to tell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because you know what? Parents, you could have Korean parents. You could have different parents from different places. And you know how DNA is. Sometimes you don't look like your parents. True. Right. So like. Danielle, That's aka one Michelle. Thing. She could be adopted. Yeah. Really exactly. Or mm -hmm. she could be adopted. There could be so many different factors. Danielle calling her mommy, though, I was just like, whoa, that is next level. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Miss Limu says that she keeps in contact with Danielle, aka Michelle, via letters. And this article was written in like 2011, by the way. So what did her parents think about all of this? Because her parents were up in arms on the show, right? Like she didn't write that letter. She didn't do this. I mean, even her friend had to undergo some sort of polygraph test because they thought her friend was being evasive and she failed the polygraph test. But like, I mean, she probably was just nervous. We know right. that polygraph tests just aren't reliable, right? But the parents were definitely side-eyeing everybody except for their daughter. I was wondering, you know, at a certain point, 
Is the friend's name Jennifer? No. We don't know the friend's name. Oh, I don't know why I thought why, why? Yeah, that's so random. Um, <laughs> I was convinced. No. Um, but I thought the friend may have been involved or that she wrote the letter. Right. Um, that she possibly did something to her. You never know. I thought it was going to go in that direction. We've seen a lot of craziness, so possibly. that wouldn't be shocking. But her dad spoke to Sarah for Pen Lai and said that Michelle's run wasn't calculated and cold like it's being portrayed. Michelle was young and impulsive and she felt incredible shame because her mother is a pastor. Wasn't she 27? Right. <laughs> no, she was 27, yes. Um, I mean, an average adult's brain continues developing, I think, till the age of 25. 25 right. So... I'm a little confused by what right. the dad is saying. Right. Her dad further alludes to there being more to the story. So I'm just like, huh? But Michelle's statement seems pretty straightforward. And this is what she says, quote, I'm grateful that my parents never gave up on me. I was not encouraged to leave Pennsylvania. I was not kidnapped or forced to stay somewhere that I didn't want to be. The choices I made to leave were mine and mine alone. End quote. So I'm not I mean, sure what her dad is trying to imply. Yeah, me neither. So why did she run, right? Like, that is the biggest question. And it seems to all boil down to the fact that that investigation resulted in her being issued a warrant and she was afraid of the consequences. Mm hmm. See, the other thing she could have done was just talk to her parents or talk to a lawyer. If you ever have some sort of criminal issue, you can literally go online, Google lawyers in your area, criminal law or criminal lawyer, New York, New York. I don't know. They will have forms on their site where you could just fill it out with like your questions and they get back to you within 24 hours or sometimes sooner. She could have literally just asked a lawyer for their advice on this. Being that this was a first time offense, she was a mother, she's a student, right? She doesn't have a history of this. That is something that the courts are going to take into account. Mm -hmm. A lawyer would have advised her that she likely wouldn't even have to serve time and that she likely would get probation. So when they extradite her back to Pennsylvania from California, it seems like she might have remained in jail until her case was decided in July of 2011 because of the fact that she was a flight risk. It wasn't confirmed, but it was like alluded to in the article from yeah, Live. I think so. Too. Right. So according to Matt Miller, writing for Penn Live, in July 2011, Michelle received a five-year probation sentence for her part in the missing church money. And she also was credited with time served because I think she would have gotten time, mm. let's say something like six months, but they're okay. just like... Is we're good now that she's faced the thing that she was presumably hiding from, abandoned her son for, involved her friend in, and had her elderly parents panicking over. She can live life without fear. The article also says that she was ordered to pay a restitution of six thousand dollars, but that that was likely going to be appealed. There have not been any like follow up articles on that. The end of the article had me just like kind of like, oh, really? Are you serious? It said that her dad was shopping for book deals to see who wants to tell her story. Mm -hmm. She did not contact her parents or her son or her friend since that day she went missing. Right. Which is crazy. Like, 
Your parents are freaking out. Your child, you abandoned your child. Didn't it, wasn't this a very similar case that you did a really long time ago? Chioma, is that her name? Chioma. Yes, but she ran away with her like older boyfriend, right? He was but like she, she was like nowhere to be found yeah, for the longest time. For the longest time. She was in Mexico. Yeah. She didn't, you know, she never called her parents. Yeah. I don't know how people allow their families to suffer inside. But she was a like, teenager. Yeah, she was a teenager, you know? which made it worse. Yes, and here, I mean, this is a grown adult making yeah. this type of decision, which is like yeah, yeah, definitely way worse, mm-hmm. right? Because by the time all of this happens and she's caught, she's 30 years old. Her son's now nine years old. Wow. Like, again, you did all of that. Why? And you were okay with your son thinking that you weren't alive. Like, yeah. you're okay with Just your parents suffering. This type of shit ages people, mm-hmm. okay? Like, the article does say that her son sat her down and had a whole conversation with her again nine years old just wondering like where were you like explain Mm -hmm. to me what happened right like you just dropped me off here and then I never saw you again for like a few Mm -hmm. years like what what was that about right like maybe she had some sort of mental break that's what I think I think all this always almost always ties back to a mental health issue a Mm -hmm. deeper issue that's there Mm -hmm. i know her dad doesn't want to acknowledge it he even said in one of the pen live articles like you guys are so worried about her son her son is fine like because people were asking for comments right once she was arrested and extradited they're like well how's her son doing and the dad was like angry that meaning her dad was angry that they were asking like don't worry about him like he's doing fine what you think he's not going to be doing fine i mean his mother was missing right right so like maybe he's not doing fine just watching her parents on this show and how adamant they were that the detectives weren't doing their job and how they believed that like she had been like raped and killed and all this and they were they were not letting it go Mm -hmm. i'm like y'all don't feel a little played by your kid you know what i'm saying like i would love to know how that conversation went Right. I guess as a parent, you might put it aside knowing that your kid might be suffering with other issues because that's serious mental health. I mean, you built yourself a whole other life. Yeah. Not once. Several times. Several times without any regard for anybody else Mm -hmm. other than yourself. So maybe maybe they might be mad, but also understanding because they're like, she clearly has issues. Yeah. And something led you to snap in this way. But I don't know. If it were my kid, I ain't gonna lie, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. I'm gonna be, I would be tight. I would be tight. Because you have me out here looking crazy. Right. You have me out here missing work, printing out missing persons flyer when your ass was just down the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. that would frustrate me as a parent. But again, I don't have kids. So it's kind of like, all right, can I really say... I think they're just really happy that she's back and that she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where their focus is. You know, her kid's going to have to probably be in therapy or something. It's traumatic. Like, wouldn't you wonder all the time if your parent was going to leave again? Mm -hmm. And this time never come back for good, right? Like, I'd be scared. Of course, like, I found blogs online about this and people were eating her up in the comments. 
saying that she's a deplorable person. She's a horrible mother. She's this, she's that. Like, how could you do this to your parents? How could you do this to your child? No mother would do this to their child. It was a lot. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. But I can understand people's frustrations because not for nothing, this case reminded me of Carly Russell. And I was actually looking up her case today before I even like decided to do this one or Mm -hmm. knew about this one. Carly Russell, as you guys can remember, she pretended she got kidnapped, Mm -hmm. right? And wasted a lot of Alabama's resources. And now they're actually putting through a bill that will like, that is trying to make something like this a felony. The resources as is, they're so limited. Right. So if they're going to like expend those resources, it better be for like an actual real cause. I mean, I, I agree with that too. But again, I think the other layer of it is, what if a person is having mental health issues? Right, like, so I think that's going to be the tricky part with charging someone with a felony. I feel like that should be the exception to the rule. Yeah, but, Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of people who do something like this would fall in the category of someone who has mental health issues. So, like, how would that law actually work? How do you sentence somebody in that case? Do you sentence them to a mental health hospital, maybe? Maybe that's something. Like, you got to be enrolled in a mental health hospital for six months or something like that. Mm. I think the takeaway from this particular case is that if you are having mental health issues, try to seek help. Mm -hmm. Try not to go to the extreme to do something like this. Because then you're going to get the wrong type of attention that will really send your mental health into a tailspin, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it can only amplify it doing something like this. Yeah. So before you get to that level, just talk to somebody. And that is this week's case. Tune in next week for another new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. What if Michelle hears this episode? Imagine that. I don't understand. Michelle is alive and she's living her life with her son. I don't know where she's living. It doesn't say that. But like, maybe she does Google her name. Ooh, okay. Hey, girl, hey. Hope hope everything's okay now. Yeah. No, yeah. Really. I mean, I'd love to hear her perspective, but mm-hmm. maybe that's another episode. All right, y'all. Be safe out there. Bye. Uh-huh.